do want to introduce you to Philip. Many of you have never met Philip, I'm sure. I didn't know that he was maybe even a pastor here. Uh, but he's been with us since mid-January. And Pastor Jeff just wanted the opportunity for you to uh, get to hear his story, get to hear his heart, his passion, his vision. Uh, because he's a pastor over our men's ministry. And probably about half of you are one. Okay. A man. A guy. Uh, he's also over... Uh, our community outreach, and all of us are to live sent. And so uh, Pastor Jeff just wanted the opportunity for you to get to meet Philip and for Philip to be able to share with us today. So make him feel welcome. Thank you, Pastor David. Well, I'll start by just saying I can confirm what most of you have heard, what most of you have, have seen, what you might have heard other people say. I am not Pastor Jeff. <laughs> Many of you probably already uh, picked up on that. Um, but as soon as you discovered that, whenever it was, the question that probably came to your mind next was, who is that? Yeah, exactly. So hopefully I can answer that some today. Um, again, my name is Philip. I've been here on staff for about three months or so. Uh, my wife and I have been coming to the church here for a year and a few months. Um, and since going on staff, I've had the chance to just meet some, meet some amazing people, whether it's been through having lunches with people or coffees or just having conversations here at church. I've just gotten to hear some amazing stories and just some, some really um, amazing contexts that people have. Um, and I've been able to share my context with them as well. And it's been, it's, it's been really cool so far. So what do I mean when I say share my, my context? Well, think about it. Whenever you look at a verse of Scripture, whenever you take a, a, a verse, a set of Scripture from, uh, say, one of Paul's letters, uh, you obviously read what the, what's in the passage itself, but then you look to the context that surrounds that passage. You look to, okay, what did, what did he just say before that that kind of informs it? What does he say after that that informs it? How does this fit in the flow of Paul's letter? What was Paul's relationship like with this, with this church? What were some of the issues going on in that church? When did Paul write the letter? What was going on in the world at the time? Again, and as you learn the context that surrounds a specific passage, it kind of helps to bring a deeper meaning out. It helps to bring more of, of what he was intending behind it when he wrote it. And usually on a Sunday morning, we would be up here and we would be delving into a specific passage of Scripture and looking at the context surrounding it. This morning will be a little bit different. Um, because we as people have context as well. We have those things, if you look at the, 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 the uh, details of our lives, that kind of inform who we are. They inform maybe our tendencies, maybe some of our habits, some of our, our passions, some of our struggles. For example, maybe you are someone who has a fear of, of conflict. Maybe you just, for you, confronting someone about something is one of the hardest things to do. But maybe you had a, a parent or someone in your youth that had a really bad temper and you didn't bring up stuff to this person or else they would explode. So you learned from a young age, I don't confront people. And it's kind of followed you and informed you now. For others of us, maybe you have other things that are kind of informing you. Maybe, maybe we didn't feel the, the love of a, of a mother or a father in our lives. And we are trying to find that love, feel that love, and maybe we've looked in some of, the, some of the wrong places. 
Maybe we never got that sense of approval that we yearned for as a, as a child. And that our life has been about trying to prove ourselves, trying to show that we are worth it, that we are worthy. We have all these things that kind of inform us. And they're not just negative. You know, maybe someone has, maybe someone was in the sixth or seventh grade when they had someone really invest in their life or someone really had a powerful influence on them. So maybe now they're passionate about reaching out to that middle school age range because that was when it happened for them. Maybe even for my, even for my wife, my wife is in the medical field. Even that comes from a time when, when she was younger and her grandmother was in the hospital. And through a powerful series of events, she decided, you know, I want to go into medicine. Even people that have gone through difficult events, to the person who maybe has gone through a difficult divorce. Maybe it was the hardest thing you've ever been through, feeling that relate, like when that relationship was just ripped apart and having to walk through it afterwards. But maybe after going through that, now you've decided that you're passionate about helping other people, helping to walk other people through that process. Come alongside them, help them process things. And maybe become a part of a ministry like, uh, like divorce care. Um, or maybe you were someone who might have lost someone at a young age or even someone maybe older, a parent or someone. And having walked through that difficulty of that grief, that having to figure out what does a new normal look like? in light of this loss. And as you've walked through this, maybe now you're passionate about helping other people to walk through that. Being a part of ministries like Grief Share, where you come alongside other people who are trying to process their own grief and trying to establish their own new normal. So our context plays a part in our lives in huge ways. It helps inform us. It helps show our passions. It helps show our tendencies. And this morning, I wanted to take some time to share my context so that you can see what, what informs my heart, what informs my ministry, what informs my passions. And you can see, as, as I share my story, you'll see God's hand just woven all through it in just a beautiful way. And you'll see that how God's hand is always present in my context. So when I share my story, I'll usually start when I was about six years old because I had a very powerful event happen in my life at that time. When I was about six, I remember going to the window and watching, watching my dad's car drive away. I remember not really understanding why that was happening, not understanding what was behind it. Um, I know later my mom pulled my sister and I aside and told us how her and my dad were separating. Um, they would eventually get a divorce, but I, I don't remember that conversation. Um, I definitely had no clue that that event was going to impact me near as much as it actually did. Because my dad was hurting so much from that event that he didn't really have anything emotionally to offer me. He was largely, he was present in some ways physically, but he was largely absent emotionally. He was absent in a lot of ways physically. And I didn't really have that father figure growing up. So you can imagine how excited I was a couple of years later when my mom met this new guy. She was going to get married again. This guy was very different. He uh, was kind of, a, he was a bigger guy, kind of a big burly kind of guy. Um, well, someone who was into hunting and fishing and outdoor stuff, had, had played football, and um, he was someone that I, I really looked up to. And he was someone that things started out going really well, but after a few months, after the first year or so, he started to kind of bear down on me. 
in a lot of ways. He started to, to call me certain names. I started to hear the name Sissy a lot. Uh, he referred to me as a panty waste. Um, that was one of his favorite nicknames for me. Um, he would tell me how I wasn't going to amount to anything. And going through that from the age of about 8 until the age of about 12 was a powerful time in a, in a young boy's life. And having heard that message enforced over and over and over again, it was only a matter of time until I was going to start believing it myself, which I did. And by the time that marriage ended when I was around 12 years old, I was left feeling no sense of self-value, feeling no self-worth, feeling largely hopeless, just in general. And I knew that something had to change. And I tried. I tried to turn a corner at that point in my life. I tried to do all that I could do to kind of build myself up, to try to make me feel better about me. There's a proverb, uh, Proverbs 14, 12, and actually Proverbs 16, 25. Whenever you see a proverb repeated in two separate places, uh, the same proverb, it's one, to, it's one to pay attention to. It reads, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. I tried to build myself up in, in every way that I could think of. I tried to look to my physical appearance to feel better about myself. I tried to, I completely changed my physical appearance. Um, I got rid of glasses. I got contacts. I started working out. I changed the way I looked and dressed, hoping that that might help me to feel a little bit better about me. I looked to, to accomplishments. I tried to get the best grades that I could. I tried to work hard at the jobs that I was at. I tried to become part of the, or, the best organizations, the honor societies and all that. Tried to get into that college that was my, my main goal after high school. Again, looking to accomplishments to make me feel better about me. I looked to friends. I looked to friends a lot. During middle school and high school especially, I was a part of several different groups of friends at different phases. Again, just looking to, to other people and their opinions to help me feel better. I looked to dating relationships. I looked to, uh, to girls to try to, again, through what they thought of me, maybe that would help me think more highly of, of me. Um, I looked to sports. I got involved on a sports team and tried to look, look to that. I even looked to church. At one point in time in high school, I was a part of three different youth groups at the same time. But it was largely something that was more social for me than anything. And if I'm honest, I was probably one of those guys that a youth pastor probably didn't want to come to their ministry. As I would point people in a difficult direction a lot of times. So I kept trying to build myself up. And I looked at even more destructive tendencies than those. I look, that's when probably early high school is when I started uh, drinking. Getting into partying. Seeing alcohol as kind of confidence in a bottle. I would do stuff when I was drinking that I was scared to do at other times. Talk to, talk to girls, things like that. Um, it was probably early high school, late middle school that I was first exposed to pornography. And, and it got its claws in me at an early age. And looking back, I kind of see that as a way, a distraction, a self-medication so that I didn't have to think about my issues. I didn't have to think about my problems. I dabbled with drugs. I tried to look, look into that to maybe, maybe that'll help. Just trying to look for something. 
And you can imagine how excited I might have been when I finished high school to go off to college because I didn't know anybody in college. Here was my chance to to start over. Here was my chance to go. And I could go and be anyone that I wanted to be because no one knew me. There There was just one problem with that. I brought all of me with me. So you can imagine, I just started getting into those same destructive habits, looking to others to try to build me up, looking to partying, which actually increased a lot more in college when I joined a fraternity uh, and went that direction. Uh, actually, you know, started to make horrible decisions, like even when I would drink, I would get behind the wheel of a car. I was arrested for driving under the influence uh, my first year of college. was experiencing a whole new level of shame during that time as well because I would have to hear how much of a fool I had made of myself the night before because I didn't remember it. I would drink so much that I would black out and I would hear the next day the ways that I had made a fool of myself the night before, the ways that uh, I made an idiot of myself, the ways that people had lost respect for me through what I did. So in my endeavor to build myself up, I actually ended up tearing myself down so much more. And if I had continued in that direction, I have no idea where I would be today. But praise God that he he had other ideas. And in my third year of school, my third year of college, God really came on the scene in my world in a powerful way. You see, I'd been doing a lot of partying, and one of my buddies that I had partied with became a follower of Christ. He was someone that I also went running with, I would work out with him. So we spent a good bit of time together. And so there was a lot of opportunity for me to hear uh, his new beliefs, to hear the impact they were having on his life. And it really got me thinking. So also at that time, I was, I was working full-time. I was co-oping, so I was living on campus, working full-time at my job. And there was a gentleman uh, in the cubicle next to me that would kind of stand up sometimes, and he would just start talking to me about spiritual things. Now, looking back, some of the things he talked about were way out in left field. But I sort of see his his desire to engage me spiritually as kind of God being here in the back saying, I'm still here. It was also around that time that there was something that made me want to start reading Scripture. Something, I'd been exposed to it in my youth group days, and there was something in me that wanted to start reading Scripture again. I don't know really what that was other than God, Um, I also have no clue why I started in the book of Job. I don't know many people when they start reading the Bible that they start there. (laughs) But I did. And I really learned from that the impact that my friends were having on my life. And I started reading other books. And other books. And I only understood some of what I was reading. There was a lot that didn't quite connect. So I started to wonder, is there some sort of a Bible study? Maybe somewhere that I could go and learn a little bit more about what I'm reading. So I approached some of the Christian guys in my fraternity. said, hey, do y'all know of any, any sort of a study that I could go to where I could learn more about the Bible? Well, for starters, they were floored that one of the partiers in the fraternity would want to come to a Bible study. But after they gathered themselves, yeah, yeah, come on, come on, there's actually one that, tonight. I had the opportunity to go. And when I was there, I got introduced to a college pastor Uh, and a couple of alumni from my fraternity that were trying to invest in college students. And through them, I got connected to a church. 
a church that I started regularly attending on Sundays, and there was a college gathering on Tuesdays that I started going to as well. And when I would go to these gatherings, I would hear God's word in a different way. I would hear messages preached that I had never heard before. You see, to me, the Bible was just a list of do's and don'ts, things that you either should do or things that you shouldn't do. But they started describing the Bible in different ways. I could see how it applied to life, and it really stood out to me. And I heard messages like that God made me to have a relationship with him. Relationship? What's that about? But yeah, God created me to know him. But that because of my sin, because of my, my shortcomings, because of my rebellion, how I had missed the mark and what I was created to be, I was separated from that relationship with God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And for someone like me who was struggling with feelings of a low self-worth and self-value, that kind of connected with me pretty easy. Yep, check. I know I fall short of God's glory. I know I fall short. But then the next step in Romans 5.8, that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It just blew me away that, that God would send his son, Jesus, into this world to live, to die, to rise from the dead, to pay my penalty of sin, to die where I deserve to die because of my sin. That God would do something like that for someone like me. And that if John 3.16, if, if I, whoever believes in him should never, not perish, but would have everlasting life, eternal life, would be able to spend eternity with him. If we just believed him, if, we, if I trusted in him, then what he did applied to me. And that just completely rocked my world. It completely changed everything. And my life started to look very different. I started to feel something that I had not really ever felt before. Hope. And I wanted to, and I wanted to continue to feed that. I wanted to continue to, to learn more, to read more. I got books about Scripture. I read books of Scripture. I listened to sermons. I talked to people. I just wanted to get all that I could. I jumped into a college ministry. I was able to become, get involved there. And after a couple of years, I was given the opportunity to serve in a leadership role there. And it was interesting, one night uh, after that, uh, before college ministry, I was in leadership over a team that was tasked with meeting the newcomers to the ministry. And someone kind of caught my eye that, that night. And afterwards, I was able to have a conversation with her. And that conversation with her led to another conversation with her, which led to a cup of coffee, which led to going out on a date. And we've been married for almost 12 years now. Thank you. And she has been one of the biggest gifts to my life that God has given me. But I remember even, I remember even when we got engaged, I was petrified. Because you see, in my life, I had seen nothing but divorce. Not me personally, but in my family. That's all I had seen. My parents had been divorced multiple times. I had seen aunts and uncles divorced some of them multiple times. My grandparents were divorced. I had seen divorce everywhere. But one of the things I had never seen was a Christ-centered marriage. I'd never seen that. Had no idea what it looked like. 
I knew that's what I wanted, but I didn't know how to get there. And I try to step into that role that God has for me as a, as a husband. It's been a continuous journey. I'd love to say that I've nailed it and I've gotten it all right, but my wife has been very gracious. She's been very forgiving. Hopefully I'm doing a lot better job than I was as I'm continuing to try to pursue Christ in that. But met her through that college ministry that night. And even, even then, while I was in college, was still trying to discern, God, what direction would you have me to go? Where have you made me to, to fit? And figuring, well, I'm so far through a degree program, I might as well finish it. Uh, so I got a degree in engineering, got a job in engineering afterwards. Think that, well, maybe God has called me to the secular world, like he has called so many, to be a light for Christ in the midst of, of unbelievers in a, in a secular setting. So I went there. I would engage my uh, coworkers. I would start Bible. I started a Bible study at lunch. I plugged into the local church. I got involved in the youth group. Um, and then when my wife and I got married, I moved to uh, Augusta, Georgia, from the Atlanta area, and plugged into the church again there. Got a job there, and um, it's kind of funny. Once we once we first moved to the area. Um, after we had just gotten married, so I had just come there. My wife had already been there for a year in graduate school. And I remember going out to eat with her one night. We went out to a little Mexican place, and I remember she was sitting next to me and had invited a lot of her friends from graduate school to come out with us. And I remember looking around the table and seeing nine ladies, <laughs> me and my wife. And no offense to ladies, but I knew that I needed some guys in my life. <laughs> that was very, I was very aware of that. And an opportunity came up to maybe meet some people a few months later when my church was offering a marriage retreat. Now, I don't know how many of you have gone on a marriage retreat six months after you've been married, but I did. I went on one and had the chance to actually meet some, some amazing guys. Because they were guys that, they were guys that had been meeting together. They were fairly new believers, most of them. Um, but they were talking about things that guys in church just don't normally talk about. They were talking about their sin issues. They were talking about the struggles they were having in their marriages. They were talking about their struggles with lust and pornography. They were talking about, again, these things that guys just don't talk about, right? But Christ was doing an amazing work in their lives. He was doing an amazing work in their families, in their struggles. And I wanted to join them. I jumped into their, to their group, into that men's ministry. Uh, started meeting with one guy for accountability weekly, knowing, again, that I needed that community around me. And even going, you know, continuing on in my time in Augusta, was trying to figure out again, God, is this what you've called me to? I don't know. All I knew is that I didn't really like what I was doing. It's interesting, I had a lunch with a buddy of mine. I was an inside sales engineer at the time and had lunch with a buddy who loved what he did. He would, we would go out to lunch and he would talk about sales strategies. He would talk about getting in front of the customer. He would talk about um, how to motivate people, how to influence people in the workplace. He wanted to be over a marketing department one day. He wanted to go and pursue his MBA. He was, this is the stuff he wanted to talk about in his free time. He wanted to talk about it at lunch. And I quickly discovered that I did not want to talk about that stuff. That God had wired him that way, that God had probably called him to that, but I don't think God had called me to that. And after trying through a lot of discernment, having conversations with, with my wife, a lot of prayers, 
talking with the pastor of my church, talking with this group of guys that I'd gotten to know, I learned that as much as I could discern what God's calling was, as much as, you know, you hear you're called to something, as much as I could figure out what that actually meant, I think I'm called to ministry. And God opened the door after that for us to move from Augusta, Georgia to Dallas, Texas, where I was enrolled in seminary. Still had no idea what future ministry would look like, but knew that that was the next right step. So jumped in there, dove into the local church, getting involved there in their small groups ministry, uh, leading a young married couple's uh, small group, and diving into the men's ministry where my internship was uh, in seminary. But even around halfway through, wondering, God, what direction do you want me to go next? My wife worked in a hospital setting, and she had gotten to know some of the hospital chaplains there. She said, hey, Philip, have you ever thought about being a hospital chaplain? I could see that being a really good fit for you, just with your giftings and, and everything. But is that something you've ever thought about? No? I pretty much dismissed it. I pretty much didn't, didn't listen at first, but then I kind of circled back around. You know, I hadn't heard anything about it at seminary, but this is crisis ministry. This would be applicable anywhere. So I decided to kind of take that step of faith and give it a try. My last year of seminary, part-time, I was a part of a program that teaches you how to be a hospital chaplain while you functioned as a hospital chaplain. So I was going to rooms, interacting with people, and then coming back and talking about it and learning about it. And, you know, did that my last year of seminary, did it full-time the two years after that, doing a full-time year of residency in an an adult hospital, a full-time year of residency in a pediatric hospital. But there was a part of that training that I didn't expect. Yeah, I was taught how to interact with people and how to come alongside them when they're going through their stuff. But there was a part that I didn't expect. You see, there was a large part of introspection, a lot of looking within myself that was involved in that training. Because the premise behind it was, you know, for you to go do ministry, for you to visit a hospital room, or for you to really do anything, you can't just leave all of your stuff, all of your issues, all of your junk Uh, behind and go do ministry the reality is you bring all of you with you and I needed to learn what was it that I was bringing with me because whether I was aware of it or not it was impacting how I did ministry it was impacting how I related to people how I interacted with people it was informing a lot of what I was doing so I need to know what's there and through that I started to kind of delve into my father wounds a little bit into having a largely absent father growing up, into having a verbally and emotionally abusive stepfather growing up, to see how both of those didn't just impact me at a young age, but that they were still impacting me so many years later. To delve into that, to to work through some of those issues. And during that time when I was trying to do this work in my life, probably the most terrifying thing that could have happened to me it was during that time that I became a father to a son to a little boy and I remember when he was born and you know you try to you try to anticipate everything about when when a child is before a child is born but I remember when when he was born and the doctor first held him up and showed him to showed him to my wife and I and we heard his his cry, how that was just the most wonderful sound we had ever heard in our lives. Don't get me wrong, it didn't stay that way. His cry eventually, 
sounded different, but at first it was the most wonderful sound ever. And I knew that I didn't know what being a godly father looked like, but I knew that I didn't want to be the type of dad that I had experienced. Because in my work, I had learned something else. I had learned that, okay, I knew that I didn't have a very close relationship with my dad. But I'd learned that, well, he didn't have a very close relationship with his dad. And my grandfather, he didn't have a very close relationship with his dad. So it was a generational pattern that was at play in my family. And I knew that if I didn't engage it intentionally, if I didn't try to change the pattern, I was just going to fall right into it. So I tried to do all that I could do to become the dad that I think God has called me to be. To figure out what that looks like and to, and to walk in that. It was also around this time that my wife and I changed churches in Dallas. And we started going to a church where I wanted to plug in. That was kind of my pattern. I wanted to, to dive into church and serve somewhere. And I thought, you know, through my, my chaplain training and stuff, one good area might be the recovery ministry. Um, so I started asking questions about it. And I learned that, well, before you can be a leader of a group in a recovery ministry, you have to actually go through the program. It was a recovery ministry very similar to uh, Celebrate Recovery here at the church, which meets on Monday nights at 7 o'clock for those interested. Um, very similar to that, a 12-step program. And I thought, well, to go through it won't be that big of a deal because after all, I'm not one of those people, right? I was so prideful. I was so prideful. Because what I learned when I started going to that ministry was that I actually learned a lot more from the guys there than they learned from me. What I saw was I saw a group of guys that were very much aware of their sin issues. They knew exactly what they were struggling with. But they were actually trying to do something about it. They weren't content to just carry it around behind them and let it follow them wherever they went. But they were engaging it. They were um, applying biblical principles. Like James 5.16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. They wanted that healing in their lives. They were confessing their sins. They were talking about it. One guy would get up and, and talk about their, his, uh, several guys actually, about their addictions to pornography. Another guy would get up and talk about his, his addiction to, to alcohol and the role that that had played in his life. Other people got up and talked about their paralyzing anxiety that they felt, the fear that they felt for everything. Another guy got up and talked about his um, people-pleasing and him trying to live for the opinions of others and how exhausting that was. Another guy talked about how his marriage was just hanging by a thread. And his wife had told him, if you don't go to this recovery ministry, I'm done. And guys were standing up and they were talking about this. And what I learned is that really that recovery ministry, what it is, is it's in its essence, it's discipleship. It's intense discipleship. It's walking the principles of Scripture. And through going through this, I got to see a picture of authenticity that I had never seen before. Of people willing to, again, talk about things that you don't talk about at church. But when they did talk about them, they engaged Christ in a way unlike anyone else. And they invited Christ in to actually do something about their struggle and not just being content to walk with it. I learned through going through this a lot about myself, a lot of, that I wasn't expecting. 
like I saw the, the immense pride that I had in my life. Even as someone with a low self-value, I still had a lot of pride. I got to see how, how much I wanted to be in control. How at a young age I'd learned when, I, when things were outside of my control, bad things would happen, so I tried to maintain control as best I could. I started to see how much of a slave I was to the opinions of others and how I tried to live and think of myself as how I thought other people viewed me. And to look, for the, look to the opinions of others. And through going through this, I was able to work through some of these, some of these sins that had issues and struggles that had followed me for so long. I was finally able to get victory over in Christ by applying those types of principles to my life. And seeing God work in just powerful ways, both in my life and in the lives of those around me. After going through that, God, in a really, really cool way, uh, lined it up where my wife and I, when she finished her training, to both move here to St. Petersburg and get jobs at the same hospital. Again, me as a hospital chaplain. Um, so we moved to St. Pete a little over a year, a year and a few months ago. And when we were there, we were in the hospital, we were working in different, different departments. But God is just so, so cool and faithful how... How even when we were working in different departments, different people, one person in her department, one person in mine, invited us to Indian Rocks. And we had tried other churches in the area, but once we came here, we didn't go anywhere else. Because when we came, we, we got connected. We started going to a connection group with other, other couples kind of in our walk of life and found other people that really wanted to pursue Christ and that we wanted to do it alongside them. Hear some amazing stories and see God's hand in their stories, in their context, just as powerfully but differently than his hand has been in my context. So all that's kind of led to, to where I am now. Up here and again, just seeing God's hand so clearly. And I remember in college asking the question of a college pastor, you know, what, how do I discern what God's plan for my life is? How do I discern what God's will for my life is? And he kind of turned that question on its head for me. He said, actually, I think you're asking the wrong question. I think the better question is, what is God's plan? And how can you be a part of it? I think that's the better question to ask. And that's one of the main questions, questions that led to, to my coming here. Because when I look back at my context, when I look back at everything that I've been through that informs who I am now, I'll start to see how my context fits specifically into God's plan in an amazing way. And you'll see some themes throughout my story that are going to repeat themselves that, are, that I'm passionate about now because of what I've been through, because of what I've experienced. The first being biblical truth. This whole idea of hearing, hearing the Bible in a way that I could understand it. Seeing it applied, not just live, not just learned about in principle, but seeing people actually living sent, following what it says and doing, living the one and others of Scripture. Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen says, "All Scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work." So seeing Scripture as being God's God's word, breathed out by God, 
quite frankly, it doesn't matter what I stand up here and say. It doesn't matter what my opinion is about this or that. If it doesn't align with God's word, it doesn't matter what I say. It's God's words that have value. God's words are what should be followed. And when we live them out, it's profitable for teaching, for reproving one another, for correction and for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, equipped for anything that God calls us to. I want to be, I want to be complete. I want to be ready. So biblical truth is, is huge for me as is authentic community. As you've heard me talk about with uh, what I saw in a recovery ministry or in different men's ministries, when we're, able, when we're willing to, to push down our pride enough to talk about the things that are hard to talk about, to make ourselves vulnerable, when we're willing to go there, our lives can shine more for Christ than they can in any other way. Because it's in the areas that I'm weak, that's where he's strong. 2 Corinthians 12. Authentic community. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. So to flee youthful passions, flee those things that used to kind of draw you in, see them for what they are, run from them, flee them, but not just run from them, run to something. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Pursue Christ with all that we are, with all that we can, but not to do it by ourselves, to do it along with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. To want to pursue Christ, to look around, to see who's pursuing Christ and say, hey, you want to pursue together? To see who's running towards Christ with all that they have and say, hey, do you want to run together? And just seeing what God does when we pursue him in community, which is, I think, how he's wired us to be, which I know he's wired me in that way. To have a willingness to step into the the God-ordained roles that he's called me to. The first being a biblical husband. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So knowing that I want to step into this role as a biblical husband that God has called me to, but that part of this role, the essential aspect of this role, is loving my wife the way that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To figure out what that looks like, to figure out how I can do that, to learn that alongside others, to even though I had no picture of what that looked like growing up, to know that that's what I want now. And I don't think I'm alone in that. To pursue the role of becoming the biblical father that God has called me to be. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I was such an angry person for so long because of the wounds that I had from my father figures. And I know that I, that's not what I want my son to have. I want to hold on to the promises of Scripture. I want to grasp promises like Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. So in the fear of the Lord, if I'm fearing Lord, the Lord, if I'm pursuing Christ, being in all of who he is, 
I will have strong confidence not in me but in him. And my children will have refuge. That's a promise. What I do doesn't just affect me. What I pursue doesn't just affect me. It affects those that God has placed in my life. Proverbs 20 verse 7 reads, The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. So again, there's a promise that's held up. If I'm pursuing integrity in my life, then my children are going to be blessed after me. Which is especially powerful to me as God has blessed me with another child, another son, who's only a couple of months old now. But again, wanting to, wanting to model that, wanting to, to live that, to, to trust God enough to step into that role that he's called me to, even if I don't know what it looks like. But I want to learn. And scripture has given me so much to take me there. Again, a huge portion of, of my, my motivation, my passion, comes from not just hearing God's word, not just being content to, to hear knowledge, not just being content to hear principles, but to actually see them lived, to see them, see people experience what God has for them, the opportunities that God has laid out in front of them. When, when we are willing to actually, in faith, do what he's asked us to do and not just hear it, so if I can speak specifically to the guys here for just a couple of minutes, I want to invite you to do the same thing, to take that step, whatever it looks like. Now, I know there are several different groups of guys here. I know there's the one group of guys here, and you are, you are plugged in. You are pursuing Christ. You are in community. You are doing it. And to you, I would say just keep, keep fighting the good fight. Keep running that race that's set before you. And in fact, I want to run with you. I want to run alongside you, and I need you to run alongside me. I need that. I know there's another group in here as well, a group that might be largely disconnected. Maybe, haven't, maybe you haven't had that chance to kind of take that step of faith yet. Maybe you don't, aren't really connected with, with other people. To you, I would, I would invite you to come and join me. We're about to start a Bible study this, this Wednesday, a men's study on how to be God's man. Under the whole idea that, that culture holds up this certain ideal of what authentic manhood looks like. Culture would tell us that, that authentic manhood depends on your portfolio, it depends on your possessions, it depends on your, your physical stature, it depends on your position and your power. But when you look at God's word, God, God's word designs, defines authentic manhood differently. There are principles that apply to us that I invite you to come see, come learn how, how God describes an authentic man. And to come engage with us in community as we all together learn how to pursue that. Now that study takes place here on Wednesdays. The first way you can be a part of that is on Wednesday evenings. Uh, it's a study that's going to be at 645 on Wednesday night, uh, it's going to be in the room. It's going to be in a room up above the fellowship center. So there's some stairs that go behind the information table. Some stairs that are kind of across from Karis Cafe. Go up, go up there. It's going to be a large room right there on your left. And I invite you to come and, and join us as we go through that study. If you want to be a part of it, 
please sign up. There's several different ways to sign up. The tear out in your bulletin, if you flip it over on the back, you'll see the, the men's Bible study. Where all we're looking for is your, your name, email, and phone number. You can pull out your phone. It's on the app. Men's Bible study. You can go online. It scrolls across the top. It's a five-week study. That's it. It's five weeks. If you've never been a part of a study like that, I invite you to come just for five weeks. To see that when you learn God's principles and apply them in community, just see what God does. Both in your life and in the lives of those that he's entrusted around you. The lives of your family, your kids. I would invite you to that. Now there's undoubtedly another group here as well. And maybe, maybe for you, you've never heard that God desired to have a relationship with you. That he created you to have a relationship with him. But that because of your sin, you are separated. Because of the ways that you've rebelled, you're separated from God. Separated from that relationship. But that God has made a way through Christ to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. If that's something that you've never talked about, that you've never thought about, I would, I would encourage you to maybe a step of faith for you this morning looks like just coming down after the service. Come down, we'll have, we have a pastor here, Pastor Thomas here, there'll be some deacons here, some people that would love to talk with you about that. Because that's where it all begins, is in that relationship with Christ. It's, it's very different to just hear about it, to see God working in the lives of others, to see what God's doing in other places. That's very different than actually stepping in it ourselves and seeing what God can do in our lives and in the lives of those that we love. One of the cool things about moving uh, to this area from, from Texas was, is our uh, proximity to Orlando. Um, now I came with, uh, my son was three at the time, and he loved him some Mickey Mouse. He loved Mickey Mouse, Minnie, Donald, Daisy, Goofy, Pluto, all of them. He loved them. He looked up to them. He would watch Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and some of those shows, and, and he would try to emulate them. He would try to sing the songs. He would try to do the things that they're doing. He had the stuffed animals. He had the shirt. Uh, it's kind of funny. At the end of Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, they do a little dance. For those of you who have kids, uh, they do a little hot dog dance. And I've got some really cute videos of him doing that dance that he's just going to hate one day. Um, <laughs> but loves Mickey Mouse. So imagine then his excitement when we move here, and now he gets to go to Disney World. He gets to step into this world that he sees as magical. He got up earlier than he had ever gotten up to go. He went down later than he had ever gone to bed that night. And he was energized the entire time, going from thing to thing to thing, seeing these, having seen all these figures on TV, and now he can go up and touch them. I think I've seen him give some of the biggest hugs he ever gave was that day at Disney World. That first time he was there. There's a difference between just seeing what God's doing and then taking that step in and experiencing it, what God has for us. So I would invite you to take that, take that step with me. Pastor David, thank you.
Thank you so much, Philip. Why don't you stand with us now and uh, just thank you all for being engaged as you heard a story. That's one of the reasons we wanted them to share today uh, because I think that so many of us, all of us, can probably identify with a piece of that. So I encourage you to take those steps that he was talking about. There'll be some pastors up here, some of our deacons, if you want to know more about taking that initial step into having a personal relationship with him. Uh, Pastor Philip will be in uh, our guest reception. If you're here for the very first time, please stop by there. We have a gift for you. But thank you so very much for being here today. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we thank you that we all in here have context into your plan, into your story. And uh, what you're doing, Lord, help us to see how we're to come alongside of you and participate and be a part of something that can impact eternity. We all have that call. We thank you for uh, bringing it to, to life this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.